talks about. What a wonderful, what a wonderful statement that was. Uh, he robbed the grave. Don't you love that? Oh, when he, when that, that came up on the screen and it just, just resonated in my heart, he robbed the grave. You know. So now we can confidently say, he that is absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord, because the grave has been robbed. What a glorious hope we have as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Um, great worship, great worship. How are you? You're well? You're wonderful? You're fantastic? You're amazing? All that sort of stuff? Because God is good, that's right? Because He's your Lord and He's your Saviour. And you have bowed your knee and you have confessed Him to be Lord. That's why it's wonderful. Um, it is great to have the big guy back. Oh, there he is. It's great to have the big guy back and his family. I love, I really wish I could get Faith up to say what she said to me when she came through the door. And uh, or maybe I'll save it for next week. She came rushing up. You didn't hear it, Dad. She came rushing up and she said, I, in Faith's little voice, because Faith is down here, remember, you know. I got on the aeroplane, she said, and I went to Indonesia and um, she saw someone, she met someone, and she was just so excited, you know. You know and it's great, isn't it? It's wonderful. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to what Sean has to share with us and... Um, and I know it's going to be an encouragement. I know it's going to be a blessing. I know it's going to be challenging. You know, you know, you know the evangelist is back when he starts quoting the verses that he was quoting, right? You know, you know he's back and, um, and we need to hear what he's got to say. So that's going to be great. Yes, parents, the water slides are out there and your children are... There's two, there's two inflatable water slides at the back of the building you may not have seen when you came in. Um, and uh, the, the, the big black one is also there. So... Um, there are people out there, just for your peace of mind, mums and dads, there are people out there um, overseeing the whole thing, um, so they're, they're, they're safe. They're going to come back wet, they may get a little bit scratched up and beat up, um, but it's a whole lot of fun, it really is. Um, that aside, let's open our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, the second chapter. Um, Um, we've been uh, in this first month of January we've been just looking at some this first month of January that's right we've been looking at some encouraged some verses um, encouragement for 2020 and uh, we'll be then we'll be heading back into the book of Romans uh, at the start of February um, Book of Hebrews. Who likes? Who's read the Book of Hebrews? Yeah. Um, the Book of Hebrews is all about um, establishing the supremacy and the finality that is Jesus Christ. He is our all in all. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. Uh, and again, the the, the 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 key word to Hebrews is simply that Christ is better. Christ, Christ is better, you know, and, and that truth is presented in the opening chapters. You know, he's better than the Old Testament prophets, you know. You know, they, they only spoke the word. He is the living word. 
You know, he is better. You know, he's better than the angels. They are only creatures where he is the creator. He, he is better. You know, he's better than Moses. Moses led the nation where, where Christ gave birth to the nation. He is better. He's better than Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron offered sin as a sacrifice on a daily, yearly uh, situation where he is the ultimate sacrifice who died once and once and for all, for all mankind. He's better, right? And that's the key word that is used in the book. You know, he presents this grand vision of Christ. And we sang it this morning um, in the sixth chapter. It will be, it, it, uh, that he is the anchor of our souls. You know, this, this is the hope we have, you know, as an anchor for our souls. You know, it is sure and, and it is steadfast which has entered the presence to the holy place behind the veil. Who is that anchor for our soul? It's Christ himself, isn't it? You know, who has entered in. And so, um, the, the, and, and the reason that this, this, um, this emphasis is given in this book, and this is why I believe it's a great encouragement for us as we start a new year, is because back then when these words were written, there were believers that were facing great storm they were facing great persecution and it was like a wave that was building and 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 sweeping through you know the christian family persecution was building and becoming stronger and stronger and again sean we'll talk about things like that next time and what was starting to happen because of the persecution is that believers were beginning to drift away and that's why he's presented as the anchor for our soul. You know, we need our souls tethered to the holy of holies, don't we? And that's where Jesus Christ sits for us, at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for you and I. You and I are secure. And that's what we need to be reminded as we head off into a new year. So there were many Christians that were hearing these words that were drifting away like a drifting boat without a tether, without an anchor, just drifting off with, the, with the, whatever was blowing through. And of course, if a boat is not tethered, if a boat is not anchored, what happens? It drifts away. And every one of us needs to know what the anchor of our soul is. Because life gets stormy, doesn't it? Things get difficult. The anchor for our soul, we just sang it. His name is Jesus. And so we are exhorted in this book and in the second chapter to pay close attention to the things that we have heard concerning him so that we don't drift away as believers. Now, the writer is going to remind wavering believers that while it can be difficult at times, and there's always a drawing from the world, isn't there? There's always a drawing of our attention from the world, the flesh, and the devil. John will talk about that in his epistles, a drawing upon us to drift away from the things of God, you know, tempting us to anchor our souls to things other than Jesus Christ. 
tempting us to anchor our souls to things of, of um, immediate satisfaction rather than the eternal things that are found only in Christ. And of course, they are things that are sometimes a bit sublime, things that maybe we don't even recognize that we're anchoring our souls to, things like our own personal um, reputation or, uh, or our own achievements or our own success, our own you know, wealth, our own prospects for the future, our own, you know, um, our own power, the list, you know what happens. And that's what we tether ourselves to. So the exhortation that I hope will be an encouragement to us as we begin the next year is this, let us not forget God's ultimate plan for you and I. Let's never forget what the end game will be. And more importantly than that, you know, let us realize that that ultimate goal, that end game, is only realized through the person of Jesus Christ who tethers us to our destiny. Now, what he's going to do, he's going to draw from the eighth psalm. And so that's, uh, we're going to be sort of reading backwards and forwards between these. So let me just read this with you. Are you in Hebrews chapter 2? I want, to, I want to read a few verses and then jump across to Psalm, the 8th Psalm, and then we'll get underway. So let's start at verse 5. For it says, He has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. I know it sounds like we're jumping in the midst of something. I'll come back to it. But one, of a, one in a certain place testified saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you will take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him, certainly referring to Christ there. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Okay, now... Can you flick back to the book of Psalms with me in the middle of your Bibles? Um, hold that spot there in Hebrews. Because this is what the writer was uh, quoting from. He says in the 8th chapter of Psalm, verse 1, he says, How excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set... Your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you might still the enemies and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, here it is, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels have crowned him with glory and honor. For you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name 
in all of the earth. Now, Hebrews, in chapter 1, in the 14th verse, was referring to angels and said, Are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who are heirs of salvation? Now, Hebrews, the psalmist, refers to angels. Are they not heirs of them who are heirs of salvation? One of the, one of the startling, let me give you some background here. One of the startling uh, biblical realities, uh, one that we live in ignorance of, I think, a lot of the time, is that of the angelic host, angels. You know, in the Old Testament, angels, I believe, are mentioned some 100, 108 times. And when you come to the New Testament, they're mentioned more. They are mentioned 165 times in the New Testament. Angels minister to God's people as well as minister with God's people on God's behalf. And the work for us and with them together, we work towards God's purposes and mostly we're completely ignorant of it, aren't we? Aren't we? You know, do you, you get up in the morning and, 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 you know, and say a few words to you, the angel that's going to be with you today and watch over you? Are you looking around thinking? You don't, do you? Because we're not told to do that, by the way, you know. But there are countless testimonies that speak of angelic intervention in pivotal moments of people's lives and indeed of nations' lives. You know, countless testimonies coming from soldiers, especially in the Middle East. There are countless testimonies. Missionaries, of course, will speak of them over and over again. Where has there been this intervention, this supernatural intervention that has saved a life or moved somebody at the right time or brought something to pass, you know? And, you know, and there may be even in this room testimonies of encounters that you've had with angelic hosts. Can I say something? You have had them, Christian. You have had them. You just may not be aware of it. You know, they're here now. You know, but here's the thing. This is what's being set up here. This is the question that's been set up when it talks about what is God's ultimate purpose for you and I. They are here. They are now. They are magnificent spiritual beings that have the purpose of God within the very core of their being. They come alongside of us. They're a part of what God is doing. But what about, <laughs> excuse me, in the age to come. What about in the kingdom? Because, you know, that's what we pray for, isn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's what we're praying for, the coming kingdom. That's why we're told to lift our heads knowing that our, 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 our salvation is near, our redemption is near. That's why we look for the coming of the Messiah. He's coming to establish his kingdom. The question is, what is their role in the kingdom? Because this age is going to end. I know there are some people that are just hanging on to it for dear life, right? You know? 
You know, I did a funeral yesterday for, uh, and it was, um, it was the testimony of a good man who did great things. But you know, there was great sadness because there was nothing beyond this life for that man, you know. And, they, and there was great testimony of all the wonderful things that he had done, you know. But I do know that in his last days he was afraid. I do know that in his last days he didn't know what was going to happen. And that was the testimony of his children. Not yesterday, but privately that was shared, you know. This age is going to end. Jesus is coming again, right? We go back. It's always been talked about. We go back to Daniel in the Old Testament. Let me just read this to you from Daniel chapter 2. He said, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever, the eternal kingdom. I kept looking, this is Daniel in the night vision, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory. Here's that language again. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and of men and of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Certainly talking about our King Jesus, right? So what about the kingdom age? What are angels going to be doing? You know, again, when we think of the biblical examples of those human encounters with angelic beings in this age... They're awe-inspiring encounters, aren't they? Often they are fear-inspiring episodes, you know. If you look at the, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, you know, the angelic involvement there in the pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel through the Red Sea, the angelic, the angels were involved there. You read it carefully. It's a, it was a fearful thing. The very face of God appearing in that, in that pillar of cloud. Do you know the story? Coming down upon the Egyptians as they sought to destroy the people of God. The angels were very active. It was an awe-inspiring thing. And of course, then there's the Assyrians coming against the, the people of God. And 185,000 of them were wiped out by one angel. By one angel. Of course, the angels visit to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that whole episode, you know. And of course, when we get to the book of Revelation, the angels themselves become the very vehicle of God's wrath poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And I guess when we read it about these things and we know these things, I guess it's natural for us to think, well, that's going to continue on into the kingdom age, right? God first, angels second, redeemed men third. That's how we think, right? But as amazing and as significant as angels are right now, in the kingdom age, they don't get the gig. You know that? Angels don't get it. You know? This is the message that the writer of Hebrews wants believers to understand. It's ours. 
In the kingdom age, it's our responsibility. It's our gig, you might say. God's plan has always been for you, child of God, to do what as man to, and woman? To reign with him. Not as equals with God, but with him. You know, God will always be the sovereign Lord of the universe. But redeemed man's destiny, your destiny, Christian, is to be with him. You know, Revelation chapter 5 says that he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. And, 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 and again, Revelation chapter 20, it says, you know, we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. That's pretty awesome, don't you think? I, I know it's hard to get your mind around it. I know that. Let, let me show you something. Hebrews chapter 2, you had your finger still there, didn't you? Verse 6, it says this, But once in a certain place testified, saying... But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? Right? Now, I'm going to read from Psalms, chapter 8, what we read. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Now, when the psalmist was given this psalm, he was contemplating the awesomeness of the created universe. In fact, he was contemplating the awesomeness of the night sky when he became overwhelmed with the greatness of God. You know, I mean, can you put yourself in the psalmist's position? Can you do that? We look up at the night sky, don't we? We look up at the night sky. And we see all of those stars, the, just the immensity. Is that a real word? It sounds good. The immensity of it all. It's so intense. God made it all by his hands and he cast it into the universe. And then you look at that, you realize of all of those stars, of all of the possible worlds, here you lie. Can you put yourself out at night looking up at the skies? Here you lie, gazing up at the infinite, the seemingly innumerable, immeasurable universe. And what do you feel? You feel pretty insignificant, don't you? You know, just a small speck of dust on a pebble of a planet that is cruising around a pretty little star and I say pretty, I mean a small little star. And here I am, barely six feet tall. I might live if I follow my family's generations, maybe 80 years. I'm nothing in the scheme of things. But here's the thing, you know, in the infinite dark expanse of this pebble-like planet, God focuses on me and he focuses on you so that he might express his love to you and through you. Out of the thousands of billions of stars out there, he chooses this puny little sun that's flinging around this tiny little ball and he chooses this little six-foot creature. And then you ask the question, this was David, what is man that you are mindful of him 
or the Son of Man that you visit him? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The psalmist asked this question. David asked this question. He already knew the answer because it's spelled out in the beginning in Genesis. Let me read it to you. You can turn to Genesis. It's an easy book to find. Turn to Genesis, if you like, in the first chapter. And it says in verse 26, see, the psalmist knew this. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. Note that. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moved upon the earth. You see, the psalmist was marveling that God had given man dominion over the creation. That's what blew him away. You know, for you have made, he says, I'm back in Psalms. He says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have, here it is, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. He's talking about mankind. A little lower than the angels. In the sense this, that man is earthbound, Right? But think again, Adam and Eve were crowned, what does it tell us? We just read it, with glory and honor. Again, it's the psalmist in one, Psalm 104 speaks of God in an inaccessible light. The glory that emanated from him. And there was some sense of that glory that mankind experienced in the garden. They were kings and queens. Of the entire creation. Remember what the encouragement for 2020 is? We need to know what God's intention always has been for us. There were kings and queens of the entire creation. And if they had not fallen, if man had not fallen, we would be living with them right now in the same glory and the same honor. A world of kings and queens, you might say. You might say. A world... Where absolutely all of creation would be under our dominion. That's God's intention. It always has been. And it is God's ultimate plan for you and I. But as we know, and the writer of the Hebrews has told us, let me go back to it in verse 8. He says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now, here it is, but now we do not see all things under him. See, most of us can't control our cats and our dogs, can we? That's reality, let alone the whole of creation. 
And if we control anything of this creation, my, my goodness, it's nearly always by intimidation, isn't it? In fact, these days, when we stop and think about the creation, we are mostly in fear of the creation, aren't we? Aren't we? When that spider crawls into your living room. You know, poor little thing, you know. And, now, and mostly we are in fear of the creation and what the creation is going to do to us. We live in fear of it, much less have dominion over it. Now, we're not what we're meant to be. That's what we're being told, right? You know, as a child, and you've heard me say this so many times, as a child, uh, there's always something in us. Well, I know it was in me that said, hey, there's something special about you, kid. As a child, right? You know, I've said that Again, so many times, I know I'll say it again, but we all had it, didn't we? You know, there was something innate within us. There's something special about me. And and, and please hear me. This is not said with arrogance. No, no, no. You know, but there is. But the problem is we generally project that in the idea of dreams of being, you know, the sports star or, or, or a millionaire or some form of human excellence, you know. You just ask the, your typical six-year-old kid, you know, you say, are you going to be a loser living on the streets with no career and no ambition in life? Are you just going to be nothing out there? Is that what you're going to be, little boy? Not even in his head, is it? Not even in his psyche. No, he is going to ride the wave. He is going to be the biggest. He is going to be the strongest. He is going to be the most. He's going to be great. It's in him, you know. Um, but we do. We, we tend to fix it on something spectacular. And, but, but this is what happens. You know, life comes along, Right? We fix it on something spectacular and life happens and we realize, hang on a minute, you know, most of us realize, no, we're not going to be on the cover of all the magazines, right? And gradually we come to understand that we are just a part of the crowd. It sounds depressing, doesn't it? And dreams of greatness begin to fade into the distance of fanciful dreams of a childhood imagination And our eyes become fixed onto the day-to-day grind of its highs and its lows in life, you know. And sadly, that's who a lot of people are today, you know. No man is not what he's meant to be. But God has assigned greatness, glory and honour to mankind. Do you know that? Those verses that we read from Daniel said that the dominion of the earth was given to one like the Son of Man. And when God created man, first man, he told him to rule the earth and to exercise dominion over it. But man lost that dominion. We know the story, don't we? Man lost that dominion when he rebelled against God. Against God, He fell into sin. And that is why the weeds grow, the insects bite, and our pets die. And we die. One of the reasons that Jesus came to die 
was to regain that dominion. That's what you've got to realize. That's destiny for us. The dominion was won. You know it, Christian, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The dominion of the kingdom, here it is, I'm back where I started. The dominion of the kingdom was never ever promised to angels. And Hebrews goes out of its way to point that out. But it has been promised to the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? It's Jesus Christ. And redeemed man, you and I, we are a part of that dominion. But again, from the very beginning, man has messed it up. We have messed it up. And, you know, and, and we will remain that way until we see Jesus. You know, that spark of greatness that was in the child, I believe is a remnant of the glory and honor that we were created in. I believe it's there for that reason. I believe it's there to cause you to begin to question and begin to lift your head heavenward, to take your heart and your mind home, you know. Notice what Hebrews 2 says in verse 9. It says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crown sorry with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for many for every man that is on behalf of every man so look this is amazing people how amazing is this Jesus made a little lower than the angels so he veils himself in flesh he tastes of death for all of us. And through that sacrifice, he procures eternal life for all of us. Romans 5, chapter 19. It says, for by one man, that is Adam, his disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, that is Jesus, shall many be made righteous. But here's the thing. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels when? At his incarnation, right? He veiled himself again in humanity. He laid aside his outward display of glory. And he walked amongst us like a man. Yet, man, us, we were created in his image when? In his pre-incarnate image. Not in the image of the incarnation when Christ came. We were created in his image, in the image of the pre-incarnate image. Man was created as a being. I'm doing all this to get you to see. You were created, man was created as a being superior to the angels. That's what the writer is trying to get us to understand. In the garden, man walked with God, veiled in light. The glory and the honor of the Creator was in some ways connected to us. And yet when we sinned, how great was mankind's fall to become what we are today. We are nothing like what we are going to be. Nothing. 
But how great will our final redemption be? Can I read to you from Romans chapter 8? For I reckon, Paul says, that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the coming glory that will be revealed in us. He said, for the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was not willingly subjected to vanity, but because of him who subjected it on hope that the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together up until this point, he says. And not only so, but ourselves, Paul is now saying, but ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves awaiting adoption the redemption of our body. See, these verses should comfort us. These verses are to remind the beleaguered child of God, the embattled child of God, the drifting child of God, the child of God that feels completely insignificant. These verses are to remind us that we are of infinite value. Infinite value. We are just a little lower than the angels. Now, science sells us short. Science tells you that you are a little higher than the apes. But God tells you, no, you are a little lower than the angels. But we will be crowned with glory and honor. Everything will be put in subjection to Would you think about that? In subjection to us as heirs and brethren of Christ, when we reassume the higher than angels position that God always intended you to have. I don't know how that makes you feel. That's destiny. That's your glorious destiny. No, you don't see it now. No. You can't even understand it now. But we see Jesus, don't we? That's the thing. We see Jesus. He is crowned with glory and honor. He is our promise. He is our destiny. He's the anchor of my soul. That's why it's so important. Don't let him go. This year... From this point forward, does this not encourage you to be closer? Does this not encourage you to draw yourself nearer unto him day in and day out? Because that's who I'm meant to be. So when you find your mind wandering back into that child like what you thought was a delirium, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be great. I'm here this morning to tell you it was truth. It was absolute truth. But here's the the thing about it. It's not your greatness. This is the wonderful thing about it. It's not your greatness and it's not dependent upon you. It's his greatness. And it's all about him and what he wants to do in and through you. I've, as an adult now, 
oftentimes find myself just thinking on these things about the kingdom age and trying to imagine what I'm going to be like, what we're going to be like, what our, what our position is going to be and, and how it's all going to play out. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is there's a child in me that says, your destiny is with him. It's always meant to be. It always will be. How glorious is that? Hey? Eh? That can happen this year. You know that? That can happen this year one of two ways. One of two ways. We can walk out this door, we can get in our car, we can drive out there in front of a truck and bam, we'll be there. Well, the Lord might come for us all at once together this year. There's my preferred option. You know that, don't you? You know, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up to be together with him and in that moment we will be changed. And hey, and again, it's John, we may not know what we're going to be, but we know is when he appears, we'll be like him for we shall behold him as he is. Destiny, destiny. So let's seek him. Let's desire to honour him. Let's desire to be those sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen. Next week, I want to talk to you from Philippians chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and read that, do so. And, um, And the week after that, we'll be back in Romans. We'll be back in Romans. You know, I loved what Sean said as the guys come forward. I love what Sean said about just being available, you know, just being available, you know, and, uh, and God will do great things. You know, sometimes we find ourselves wondering about that, you know. I mean, Vanessa was telling me before the service, she was down the street doing what Vanessa does so well, just praising God, sharing the gospel, and she gets to a point where, ah, this is not working. This is just not working. And I will go home. And she went home to later that night get a text message from somebody that says, hey, I'm so glad you were there because I was there with my wife and we were there and we heard what you said and we saw you praise God and we needed that. See, it's, it's not about our expectations. It's not about our greatness or our own ability. It's the fact of just knowing that you have a great destiny and in a great destiny, great things are always going to be happening. Why? Because you are connected through the veil to Jesus Christ, the greatest one who's all about doing great things. Do you get it? So let's just step out there and be on that great path to greatness. His greatness. Amen. Again, I say.